Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Our scripture is Isaiah 7, uh, verses 1 to 12. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful Be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah have devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah, terrify it, let us conquer it for ourselves, set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord, your God. It shall be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, before I jump into that text, if you don't have one of your gather booklets on your hands, there should be some throughout the room. There's more at the Gather Hub if you don't have one. There's spots in there to take sermon notes as well as questions for you to reflect on as you head out from this this place. But I want to pray briefly, and then I'm going to jump into Isaiah 7. Let me pray for us. Father, may the words of Isaiah to Ahaz land in our hearts today. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So use my words to make us firm in faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my first debate with an atheist came when I was eight years old. And her argument was devastating. She said to a few of us at the lunch table, I prayed to God that he would give to me the Nintendo game Paperboy. And he did not give me the Nintendo game Paperboy. Therefore, God does not exist. Now, if you're familiar with the Nintendo game Paperboy, this was a technological triumph for those of us who grew up in uh, the, the 80s and early 90s. It was an incredible game. And I'm sitting there hearing her think, or hearing her say this, 
God, this feels like a win-win. Prove your existence through a miraculous delivery of the game Paperboy. And two, she gets the game Paperboy, which is amazing. However, God did not choose to work in that way. But now, uh, 30 years later, I am ready to respond to, to her arguments. And you get to hear my response. Imagine this scenario. God comes to you and says, I want to prove my trustworthiness to you. And to do that, you can ask anything you want of me, and I will do it. What would you say to God? I mean, aside from asking for the game Paperboy, I know we'd all ask that. But God comes to you, hey, I'm God, I want you to trust me, and I'll do anything you ask of me. What would you ask of him? <laughs> that's what we think, but that's not what happens in this passage. Because behind this statement, it's a question, and it's a question that's as relevant to Ahaz as it is to you and I. What do you really want? Or this phrase, whose kingdom do you desire? This is a story about kings and kingdoms. And so, whose kingdom do you desire? Who's the king? God or you? That's what's underneath this text. So I want to talk a little bit about how we seek our own kingdoms and how maybe we could seek the Father's kingdom instead. And so first, I want to talk a little bit about how to seek our own kingdoms. So I'm going to tell this story. There's a lot going on in Isaiah 7. And it begins with another king in the days of Ahaz. And if you remember back to last week, we started with the sentence, In the year King Uzziah died. And so now we're dealing with Uzziah's grandson, Ahaz, who's the new king of Judah. And Ahaz is in a very difficult position. There's a new world power of the day. It's Assyria. Assyria. And Assyria has begun threatening uh, all of the known world, but especially Palestine where Judah exists. And so the two countries just to the north of Judah and Ahaz have decided they're going to form an alliance together to fight back against Assyria. And they want Ahaz and Judah to join their alliance. And so, immediately, you're getting a, you're getting a history lesson. And so you've got to keep four countries in mind as we, as we get this lesson going. First is Assyria. It's the world power. Second is Judah. That's Ahaz. And then the other two kingdoms are Syria and Israel. Or, or often Israel is called Ephraim or Jacob sometimes in Isaiah. So Ahaz really is, is facing two threats. Assyria, this great power, and these two countries that have united together against Judah to attack them. Because Ahaz has said, I'm not interested in your alliance. So they said, well, we're going to come and attack you anyway, and then we'll set up a puppet king in your place, so that then there's three countries now to fight against Assyria instead of just one. So in this passage, we meet Ahaz in verse 3, we're told he's at the conduits of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Why is he at the upper pool? 
He's inspecting the city's water supply. Jerusalem was very vulnerable to attack because it had a very unsustainable water supply. Basically, they didn't get any of their water from within the city. So if you're an attacking army and you know this, all you do is close off the city. They'll run out of water eventually, and then they're vulnerable. So Ahaz is at the pool saying, okay, how much water do we have to make it? And God says to the prophet Isaiah, I want you to go meet Ahaz up at the pool while he's inspecting the water. And I want you to tell him two things. I want you to tell him what to do, and I want you to tell him what's going to happen. And so we read what Israel or what Isaiah says to Ahaz, you're, he's supposed to do. That's verse 4. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. Summary. God says to Ahaz, don't do anything. But as we're going to read, that was the one thing Ahaz couldn't do. So what's Ahaz to do? Just don't do anything and don't fear. And why can he do that? Well, here's what God says is going to happen. These two smoldering stumps of firebrands, the two countries that have aligned themselves against Israel, Syria and Ephraim, verse 7, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, that's their capital city. The head of Damascus is Rezin, that's the king of Damascus. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Ahaz, in just a, a short time, these countries aren't going to exist anymore. I'm going to take care of them. So you don't have to do anything. But what's interesting about verses 8 and 9 is the way God says that to Ahaz invites some meditation. Because he says... Here's Syria, and what's the, what's the head of Samaria? Well, it's Damascus, a city. And what's the head of Damascus? Well, it's a king named Rezin. Then he goes into the second country that wants to attack Ahaz, Ephraim. Well, what's the head of Ephraim? Well, the capital city of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is who? The son of Ramaya. There's actually a few times kings are referred to as the son of somebody else, which is interesting. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Why does he call the king of Ephraim the son of Ramayo? I think it's because God is inviting Ahaz to ask, Whose son are you? Who's the head of Jerusalem? Whose child, whose son are you, Ahaz? And if you know your Bibles, you would know that the, the head of Jerusalem is not Ahaz. The head of Jerusalem is the Lord, which means it's the Lord against Ramaliah and Rezin. And Ahaz is not the son of Uzziah. Ahaz is the son of David, the son of God, with a covenant from God to protect and be with this city and its king. So whose son am I? That's the question Ahaz is supposed to be asking. Who's the king of Jerusalem? Ahaz is supposed to be asking. It's supposed to be God. But as we find out, Ahaz has some different things in mind. So verse 10, God goes to Ahaz and says, I will do anything for you to prove this is true. Ask any sign you want. It could be as low as Sheol, which is beneath the earth. 
or as high as the heavens, which is above the earth. Nothing's off limits. That's what Ahaz is saying to, or what God is saying to Ahaz. And what does Ahaz say in response? He quotes the Bible at God. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, is that a statement of faith? God, I already trust you. You don't have to do anything. Or does he, does he quote the Bible at God to rebel against God? God, leave me alone. I have my own plans. Whose kingdom does Ahaz desire? His own or God's? So let me pause and, and begin to put that question to, our, to us. We may not be a king of Jerusalem, but we have our own kingdoms, our own spheres of influence. It could be your family, your vocation, your work, your neighborhood, your school, your friends. We all have spheres of influence, a kingdom, so to speak. So I want to talk a bit about what, what, is, what does it look like when I'm seeking my own kingdom? When the head of, of Tim's territory is Tim, what does it look like? And I want to name three things with, with that. But first, when we seek our own kingdom, we only have access to our resources. So God offers Ahaz everything, the resources of heaven itself. But what we know, if you've read 2 Kings, is, is Ahaz is not interested in those resources. He's interested in someone else's resources. So 2 Kings 16, 7 and 8 reads this. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. So remember, four countries. Assyria, world power. Ephraim and Syria, two countries uh, joining together to attack Judah and Judah with Ahaz. So, so who does Ahaz ask for help from? Not the Lord. Assyria. The king of Assyria. Saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hands of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Then Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So now we know, when Ahaz said, I will not put the Lord to the test, what that meant was God leave me alone. You're not going to be involved in my decision making. Which is, that would be a fun sermon. The way we use the Bible to rebel against God. I don't have time for that sermon someday though. But that would be a really fun sermon. When we live lives out of our own resources, two things happen. First, we look to human power to rescue us. Do you see Ahaz speaks to the king of Assyria what he should have been saying to the Lord. I am your servant and your son. To the king of Assyria. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Assyria and from the hand of the king of Israel. He speaks to a human power as if he is God. And you see this a lot with religious people who begin to talk about earthly power as if it's God. Politicians. Wealth. Our own, our own plans. We begin to substitute language that is reserved for the Lord alone. For earthly power. The second thing we do is we misuse the resources God has entrusted with us. 
I mean, he takes God's wealth and he pays off the king of Assyria with it. Goes into the temple, finds the gold, and set, sends it to Assyria, hoping to pacify the king so that the king will say, oh, there's some wealth down there. I will help Judah and Ahaz out. He uses God's wealth to rebel against God. And so every one of us, all of the resources we have in our life, everything you own is the Lord's. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in our lives is not ours. It is God's having been entrusted to us that we use it. And when we're seeking our own kingdom, what we do is we use God's resources to get what we want in our own way. And so if you... If you were to meditate on the lifestyle that you live, the generosity of your resources, whose kingdom are they building? Whose kingdom are they seeking? How you invest your resources in this, what would it say about whose kingdom you're seeking with your life? Your own or or the Father's? So that's first. When we seek our own kingdom, we only have access to our resources. So we're always misusing them. We're always seeking after human power to come alongside so that we don't have to be vulnerable. But second, when we seek our own kingdom, we use power in the service of ourselves to the oppression of others. So in 2 Chronicles 28.3, we learn another thing about Ahaz, which is he was one of the few kings of Judah who sacrificed his own sons... In, uh, in worship to another god. To protect his own power, he was willing to, to sacrifice his own children. And when we seek our own kingdom, people are, are just in our way. And so we run them over so that we can get our way. And honestly, the church is wrestling with, re- reckoning with this right now. The number of pastors who have currently... Uh, Turned out they were abusing money, people. I mean, just the list just continues to grow and grow and grow. And not obscure people. Robbie Zacharias and John, uh, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll. The name goes on and on. And I've, I've seen those experiences in my own life. Because when we seek our own kingdom and not the Father's, other people just get run over. So that we can get to whatever it is we want to get to. And the third thing, when we seek our own kingdom, we're alone. The most dramatic part of this passage to me is when Isaiah first speaks to Ahaz, he says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as shale, high as heaven. Right? Ask the Lord your God. Then Ahaz says, No, I'm good. I'll do this alone. And then Isaiah says something else. In verse 13, he responds, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you, may weary, that you weary my God also? Because it's changing language. Ahaz, or Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, your God will give you a sign. Then Ahaz says, no. And Isaiah says, he's not your God anymore. He's now my God. Because you've cut, you've cut yourself out. And when we seek our own kingdom, we, we end up alone in life. Just our resources. At the 
church father Augustine had a, had a saying about this. So we're, all, we're all building two types of kingdoms. We're, we're, we're building one kingdom or the other. And when we navigate this world, there's always two cities that exist alongside one another. The city of God, people seeking to build and seek the kingdom of God. And the city of man, people uh, seeking themselves and their own desires. And here's the way he defines this. Two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. And the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. That when we seek our own kingdom, we grow in our contempt towards God. And so that, that would have been my answer to, uh, to my eight-year-old friend about the game Paperboy. Have you read Augustine? Because if you just want your kingdom... Like God can give you everything. You just don't want him involved. And eventually that moves from leave me alone to actual contempt. Because God will interfere with our own kingdom building projects. He will interfere. And when he interferes, there's either faith or contempt. And so that's, that's my answer to my friend. That's what seeking our own kingdom looks like. Ahaz is not a great example so let's flip this. Let's, let's, let's lift our spirits a little bit after some of that, that meditation. Let's talk about uh, how to seek our Father's kingdom. And so here now we can begin to see the reverse. When we seek first His kingdom, we have access to His resources. When we seek first the kingdom of God, we have access to His resources. I'm going to go a little bit, this is going to be a little bit hard for a minute, then I hope we're going to get a little bit more encouraged. But I, I just want to, I want to name the state of Christian generosity in the United States today. It's not an encouraging picture. That in the wealthiest country in history, the United States, a 2020 uh, Christianity Today article based on research shows the average Christian today gives 2.5% of their income away. Wealthiest country in history, 2.5% of our income is given away. About 5% of church members contribute to their local church on a regular basis. Most giving in the local church is sporadic and intermittent. And then third, if, if you think, well, that's because people, maybe that's people who make less. No, the more people, uh, the more money Christians make, the less they give away. Least generous group of people are those who make more than $75,000 a year. Now, we've got to put those stats on the, on the table, but what I'm not doing, I'm not I'm not giving you those stats to shame you, because that doesn't work. Shame never leads to change. I don't believe in, in, in shame. What, what, I wanna sh- what I'm hoping to show through the life of Ahaz is a lack of generosity is a, a, a life of scarcity and living out of your own resources, and it's a, an increasingly smaller life. People who believe they live out of the resources of the kingdom of God are the most compelling people you'll ever encounter. It doesn't matter how much they make. But if their life is seen as seeking the Father's kingdom and whatever generosity flows from that is flowing from that spirit, those are compelling people. So I want to pause for a minute and show you a video of those compelling people. And I know they would be horrified that I am describing them in that way now, but they are, they are this people. And it's, it's, uh, it's Brian and Meg Hanier. And I want you to watch a little video of just their life and how they think out some of these themes. So take a look. My name is Meg Canyon. This is my husband, Brian. 
Um, we've been married 39 years and gone to Liberty for almost 12. We have two grown daughters and they are married and we have three grandkids. Our family has experienced uh, many wonderful moments. I, I think uh, three of them have been the, the dedication of our grandchildren where we see our children dedicating their children and to Christ and uh, that's, that's been very cool for us. Boy, I have to say there are times when we first started coming to Liberty that worship was pretty powerful. You just, as I said, feel the Holy Spirit. You can feel the, the love and care. And we had not felt that in a very long time. And you don't realize how starved you are until you're fed. And it was for us life-changing. We choose to give because we believe God calls us to do that, and we believe in doing more than that. Um, giving and then some, being a part of things that are going on on the campus, very generous group of people, and then what God calls you to do, He equips and He does provide. I think we also have to remember, and I have to remind myself continually that all the gifts I have are not mine, they're God's. And anything we give is just giving his back to him and that can be time that can be money that can be um, certain talents whatever that is and and we should find joy in that and I think that's that's the wonderful thing to give and, and be joyful be a joyful giver it is a wonderful thing uh, not a reluctant or you know somebody's putting the screws to me no we want to give because we're supposed to do that and be part of the process of bringing people to Christ and God will equip you if you say Lord I'd like to give more, I'd like to give this much. Um, he will help, he will, he will provide a way for you to be able to do that. I'm excited to see what God will do as we begin this GATHER initiative. Our church is situated in such a spot that there's great opportunity to share the gospel and also use the building for many other things besides just liberty, to have people gather in our building for uh, Bible studies that are maybe not on the main track there. You know, they can't come Wednesday night or Tuesday morning, but they'd like to gather people with their children who want to come and have a safe place to uh, play outside and bring people who don't know Christ and then be able to um, begin to share the gospel. Hey, why don't you come to church? We'd love to have you. Uh, we've got a great children's ministry. Yeah, I'd really like to encourage uh people to get involved in and love to be involved in this program. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting for uh, their faith, their families, and their spiritual growth. It, 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 it'll be wonderful. And leaning into each other, working together is going to be a great uh, time to pull us together biblically to work as a team and uh, get the gospel out there in Northwest Indiana and beyond. question I'm, I'm inviting us to, to meditate on that Brian and Meg spoke to very well is what would our lives look like if we believe we had access to the Father's resources? And his posture towards you was, it can be as low as shale or as high as heaven. What would a life look like that? What risks would you be willing to take that you've been afraid to take? What would change about your own financial generosity, the people you're, you're given to? 
What would change about your priorities, the way your time, your week looks? Now, I want to be clear what, what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is, is uh, that you will be successful in everything and wealthy if you take the, these steps. Got plenty of people preaching that nonsense. That's not what I'm saying. Actually, what I'm saying is some of my greatest failures of, of life, things where I've most been tripped up, that's when I found the resources of heaven poured out on me. And I'm not talking always about financial pieces. Sometimes that has been true. It's just a different type of life. When I have to go around finding like political kings to, to, to get power from or i got to carve out this niche over here to protect myself. I live in my father's kingdom and therefore I have access to his resources. And if I had time, I could go into the, to the gospels and look at all the time Jesus says, ask me. Ask me, do you live in a reality where you have access to the kingdom's resources? So that's first. That's a different type of life. Different type of life. Second, when we seek first the kingdom, the people who encounter us will flourish. They will flourish. So there's a couple phrases here that, or a phrase that shows up twice in this passage. And it's the phrase, house of David. House of David, it's also in the first couple of verses, um, that when Isaiah speaks to Ahaz, he actually doesn't call him Ahaz, he calls him House of David. Well, why? Because the House of David was connected to a series of promises God had made to David to set up an eternal kingdom one day with a single king. And Isaiah's already spoken to this reality in Isaiah 2, what that kingdom would look like. And I want to read um, I want to I want to name what what this this kingdom looks like. It's an, it's in Isaiah two, and I'm going to read uh, verses two through four. So the kingdom of God, this house of David, this is what it's supposed to look like. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills. All the nations shall flow to it. I just love that imagery. Normally water flows down from mountains, but God says this mountain's going to be so compelling, the water, the people are going to flow up. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is what the house of David was to, to lead to. It was a kingdom of peace. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But so much so that they take weapons of war like like swords and spears, and they make them into tools of farming. Because the kingdom is now one of peace, we don't have to, we don't have to war against each other any longer. But it's also a kingdom of, of justice, that this king of David shall judge between the nations. And apparently his, his judgment's so good, that's why the nations are flowing to him. Finally someone who makes rights this world. And when we ask for him justice, he gives us justice. It's not a king seeking his own interests, oppressing the poor, oppressing his enemies. No, everyone who goes to the king gets a fair and good judgment. 
The nations flow to him, are attracted to him. That when we seek the kingdom of God, our lives begin to reflect this reality. Because a life lived seeking the kingdom of God is a a compelling life of peace and justice and kindness. And so uh, one, of the, one of the focus points of our, um, of our gather initiative is going to be ministry to special needs families. And as I spoke on a couple months ago, I speak from the inside on that. I know the divorce rates among special needs families. They're well north of 80, 85%. Most are, are north of 90%. Families like ours, we have, you know, I spent a couple hours on the phone with the insurance company today. It's going to be more next week. We're trying to get stuff for my son. It's, it's hours of work. Tons of medical appointments. And all of those commitments lead us to not be as available sometimes for community or friendship because of the time we have to spend caring for our family. And that means isolation, which often is why divorce happens soon after. So so folks within the special needs community are some of the most lost folks or forgotten folks in our community. And so our, our Gather Initiative wants to do two things to address that. One is right now we have a sensory room for special needs families today, but it is like far corner of the building, and frankly, I could not get you there today if I, like it would take us 10 minutes to find it. It's off, we want to put that room in the center of the building so someone doesn't have to walk someone with special needs a long distance to find that room. So we're going to build a new room right off our new worship center. But the second thing and the thing I'm more excited about is we want to hire a staff position that's fully devoted as like a missionary to special needs families. And, and as we thought about that, like building community of special needs families, my, my hope was, hey, I just want to be a church where if, if you have a unique need within your family, you're like, I, I can go to Liberty and, and I'll find community and help. Now a friend of mine who's all in with this vision, he said to me, he's thinking beyond that. He's like, what if? We did something so well here. People actually moved to northwest Indiana with special needs kids because they knew this community would be for them. I mean, that's Isaiah 2 vision. That the kind of of life you have among one another is so compelling, people are actually flowing to it. And so when we, if we're a church seeking the kingdom of God, not our own kingdoms, our lives become compelling alternatives to a world of selfishness, self-protection, and anger. Instead, it become, we become a people of peace and justice and kindness. But that requires, that requires sacrificial generosity. Reaching special needs families is not like, here's how we can help grow our church. That's going to take an enormous amount of time and resources to make that happen. But I believe... If you do that, Isaiah 2 becomes into the picture. We come, become a kind of people to whom the nations flow towards. All right, third and final thing I want to say, then I'll take my seat, is when we, we seek first his kingdom, we are never alone. So now I'm going to get to the part that you've probably been waiting for, if you know uh, the Bible, Isaiah 7. So uh, Ahaz says, I don't want your sign. So God says to Ahaz, that's okay, I'll give you a sign anyway. And here's what it's going to be. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey. Uh, He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. 
Now, this passage has confused commentators for centuries, and I've got about five minutes with you. So here goes. I'm going to start with what's not confusing about this passage. What's not confusing about this passage is that a a young woman is going to give birth to a son. A young woman is going to give birth to a son. And before this son is very old, the two nations, Syria and Ephraim, that want to attack Judah, they're going to be deserted. Before the boy can refuse the evil, choose the good, those countries gone, not existing any longer. And so this is the sign to Ahaz, everything you're afraid of in rebelling against me to protect yourself from, by the time this child is a few years old, it's all going to be gone. In a short while, Ahaz, everything you're afraid of, irrelevant. So that's what's not confusing about this passage. Now let's get to the confusing part. So who is this child? And, and it's pretty clear in the short run, Isaiah's wife is going to have another son, and it's him. And you read that through Isaiah 8. I don't have time to get into that. It's Isaiah's next son, uh, whose name is incredibly confusing, but it's verse 1. Mahar, Mahar Shalal Hashbas. And it's before the child's very old, all of Ahaz's problems are gone. And Isaiah details that out. But that raises some questions. First, the word for young woman here, it's the Hebrew word Alma, and it almost always, actually, it does always refer to a young unmarried woman, hence virgin. But Isaiah's wife was a young woman, but she wasn't unmarried, so that, like, it kind of works, but it kind of doesn't. And then secondly, who is this, who is this child? Because it's not, it's not, the name given by God isn't Mahar, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, it's Emmanuel, it's God with us. So who is this child? And then we read on in verse 9 um, about this child again. For to us, this child is, for, for to us, a child is born, Isaiah 9, 6. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Wait, that's not Isaiah's son, because Isaiah's son was not God. And he was not Emmanuel, God with us. And so it was a riddle for a long time. Well, it's probably Isaiah's son. That makes the most sense. But there's some unanswered questions. It's the virgin. Like, what's that? What's going on there? Uh, the child's God, a mighty king. What's going on there? And then uh, fast forward a few hundred years from Isaiah 7, and a man named Matthew says, I have solved the riddle. This is a reference actually fully to the birth of Jesus. And so he, this is what happens. Ahaz says to God, I don't want your son. And God says, I'm giving you one anyway. The king you are not, trying to build your own kingdom, your own way without me, I'm going to send a son who will build the kingdom my way. His name will be Emmanuel, God with you. And so maybe this morning you wish God would come to you and say, ask anything of me that you wish. That life is not where you want it to be. And I would just ask, what would, you, what would you ask? Ahaz could have asked of anything that he wanted. Of course, he failed in his faith. But I can promise you this. The one thing Ahaz would never have thought to ask God is, listen, to prove your faithfulness to me, I want you to give me your own son. I want you to have him die a humiliating death in my place. I want you to bury him in the ground and then raise him up three days later. That's what I want you to do. 
No chance Ahaz would have asked that, and no chance you or I would have asked that either. And yet God did it anyway, in spite of our asking him not to give us a sign, in spite of our own like complacency of building our own kingdom. God says, you know what, I'll give you that sign anyway. So you'll see what kind of kingdom that I am building, which is a selfless, uh, self-denial, sacrificial love for other people's kingdom. And when you see that, you see, this is the sign God gives to Ahaz. Why would we build our own kingdoms our own way? Why would my own generosity be primarily directed towards myself and not into the things of the kingdom of God? How could I seek my own kingdom when this is the sign that God gives to us? And so, listen to who this God is. God says to Ahaz, ask anything you want of me. And Ahaz says, leave me alone. So God says, no, I'm going to get closer. I'm going to give you a sign. It's going to be Emmanuel, God with you. And so his own son enters into the world. Even when we seek to build our own kingdom, God keeps coming after us. This is a message that the world needs to hear. And I want to give everything I have to to get the world to hear that message. And I hope you do too. Let me pray. Uh, Father, while today I might want a different sign for you to prove your love and faithfulness to me, uh, now's the time for me to meditate on the the sign you did give. Jesus, a beautiful life, lived, crucified on my behalf, buried, rose, ascended to you. He's now at the right hand of the Father. That is a sign given to us that we can, can receive and move into a life of faith. Preaching can't make that happen in our hearts. Words can't make that happen in our hearts. It's the Spirit being work in our hearts. Show us the sign that we might have faith, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, now we're going to move into a time of communion where we, we take up another, another side of the sign that we're given. Jesus' body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Um, if you're a Christian, this meal is, is for you, which means uh, you come in groups of five to seven, take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together with those, um, eat it together with the instruction of those serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, you haven't seen the sign, you don't quite get Jesus yet, I would love to talk to you about what it means uh, to get Jesus, to, to have faith, to be firm in faith so that you can stand. I'll be in the hallway afterwards if you want to do that. Um, but one, one quick note, uh, we have an added communion station um, now and so uh, as you come come right down to the aisle that you're 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 coming down and then if you can come down kind of on the right and then uh, exit on the right we can have a good traffic we're not British we're English or we're American so we on the right side of the road that's the proper way to do it so just line up on the right side that way people have a lane uh, to go out the other right and we'll figure it out it'll probably be a little chaotic Um, but as you're ready now if your faith is in the way of Jesus uh, please um, come to his table Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.